0: language or social barriers there might be, we are always one family in Christ. So I feel very this morning, and a great joy and privilege to be able to be with you. I want to share with you this morning about the promised Holy Spirit, and where that the Holy Spirit is very much a controversial subject in the church. We tend to um, keep going on and off. Sure, if the price, problem me or... Yep. yep. Might be me. I'll just change that. Okay. We we're, we're quenching and and resisting because of our fear of the excesses that we have come to know uh, and which have been attributed to the Spirit. We really need a wholesome relationship with the Spirit to be able to be a wholesome church. And so today I want to focus on the reality that the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of promise and what that promise entails for us as believers. Our reading was taken from John chapter four, 14. And in the Gospel of John chapters 13 to 17 is really one narrative. It's one discourse. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room. You ever wanted to know you sit around a table and you're having discussion around, uh, uh, around dinner, over dinner, and there's all sorts of different things said, different things come up in the day, and what your thoughts are, and, and about Man City winning the FA Cup, and whatever. We talk about all sorts of things. Have you ever wondered what did Jesus and his disciples talk about on the Last Supper? Well, John... Chapters 13 to 17 gives us exactly what Jesus and his disciples spoke about. It's an incredible insight into the discussion around the table at the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is very aware of what is going to be happening shortly. Jesus is aware that he is soon going to be arrested. Jesus is aware that he is going to be tried, and then he will be crucified and executed. And so Jesus, in being aware of this, these impending events, is trying to warn his disciples and prepare them for what's going to happen when this all transpires and what will happen after that. After Jesus is crucified and buried. On the third day, he will rise from the dead. And then after a period, he's going to ascend into heaven and no longer be with his disciples. What is going to happen to this group of disciples once he's no longer there? He knows that he needs to do something. And what he then promises them is another helper. Now, one of the things that I I like doing, but I know that not everyone enjoys doing that, but I like highlighting things from the Greek text because you know the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for helper that we translate as helper is the word parakletos you want to learn a Greek word? You're a multicultural audience. Can you all say the word parakletos? Parakletos? Parakletos. You you see, I've just taught you Greek. (coughs) Now, the word parakletos can be translated as helper or as advocate (coughs) or as comforter. The very concept of this word is that Someone comes alongside you, that's the para part, like parachute. <coughs> what is a parachute? It's something that is alongside you, that keeps you, makes you be able to float down, right? So that's where we get, in our English word para, that means a shoot alongside of you. So the, the, the spirit is one who comes alongside of you. To do a number of things. And the word that we translate as, or that kletos, part of the word, means called alongside of you to help you, support you, care for you, nurture you. So it can mean all of those different things. And that is what Jesus now says. But he then says something else. He says, I will send another helper. Another helper. And what that means is, when he says another, it means one exactly like me. So have you ever thought, how did Jesus help, advocate for, or comfort his disciples? Did Jesus help his disciples? How did he do that? Did Jesus advocate for his disciples? How did he do that? Did he bring them comfort? How did he do that? Because however Jesus did it, Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit, whom he will send, the Father will send, will be exactly like he is. He will do exactly the same things. That is the content of this promise. When Jesus says, I will send, I'll ask the Father and he will send another paracletos. One just like me. So, why we would be afraid that the Spirit would do stuff to us that we wouldn't know about, that we would not expect, that would be strange to us. So, I'm, I'm going to, if, you, if you're from a charismatic or Pentecostal background, I, I want you to know I am too. But there are excesses in that. So let me give you an example. There, there was a period some years ago where if you were open to the Holy Spirit, you would bark like a dog. Would Jesus get his disciples to bark like dogs to teach them something? That, you, you can't imagine that, can you? So why would the Spirit do that? You, you see why this is so important? Jesus promises another helper like himself. And that then sets a key understanding for us how we are to engage the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in fact no different to the way we understand Jesus. How would we understand Jesus to deal with us? If we understand how we think Jesus would deal with us, the Holy Spirit will deal with us in exactly the same way. Now, of course, it's different. And the difference between Jesus and the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is restricted to a human body. The Spirit is not restricted to a human body. It would have been easier in that sense to relate to Jesus because we're dealing with another human person. But when we deal with the Holy Spirit, it does not mean that because he is not in a body... ...that he is not a person. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit as an energy or a force. And, and th- there's, you've got to be sympathetic. There's, there's a fairly good reason why we do that. The, in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. Now in Afrikaans from... ...in South Africa, and speaking Afrikaans... ...it's quite a guttural language... And you have to say like the G or C-H. Um, you have to be rather guttural. It sounds a bit strange. And I know that Peter and June, after all these years, still struggle with it. But, but when you get a G word, you have to say, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds weird, right? But the same is in, in Hebrew, Ruach. <laughs> It's a strong word. And the word ruach in Hebrew means breath or energy. And that is the word for spirit in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word for, for, for spirit is pneuma. The Greek word pneuma, which means breath or energy or wind. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of a force, of an energy, But he is not a force or an energy. He is the manifestation of the power of God. But the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. He has a will. He speaks. You can grieve the Spirit. You can't grieve a force. If you resist a force, the force isn't going to get angry with you. But if you resist a person, you can offend that person. We can offend the Spirit because He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. And He's not an it. I, I come across many mature Christians who refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Now, personal pronouns are big today, right? We, we, we even get to choose our own personal pronouns. But look at how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in John 14 and verse 17. How does Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit? He says, the Spirit of truth, the Word cannot accept Him, but you you will know Him for He lives with you and He will be with you. So how does Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit? As a he, as a person. So the Holy Spirit is not just a force. In fact, he isn't a force at all. Is he the power of God? Yes, he he is. And he has the difference between power as a force. And when we talk about the power of God, we're actually talking about a person. So the Holy Spirit is the one whom Jesus promises will come to the disciples once Jesus has left them. Once he has ascended to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit, another Paracletos, who will come alongside them. And just like Jesus helped them, just like Jesus taught them, just like Jesus advocated for them, just like Jesus comforted them, the Spirit will do the same for them. Now, Jesus says this to them in John 14 and verse 17. You know him for he dwells with you. He will live with you, right? And he will live in you. He will be in you. Now, that's a very important part of this promise. The word to dwell or to live means to continue on with. He will remain with you. He's, he's going to come to you, and then he's never going to leave. He's going to remain with you. He's going to stay with you. That's why we, our translators say, live with you. He's, he's going to move in and then stay. And Jesus says, he will be in you. And that word in, in Greek, can mean two things. It can mean inside of you, and it can mean amongst you when speaking about a group of people. So what we can say here today, are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, raise your hand. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then I can tell you today that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And because we are a gathered people of Jesus, come to worship him together corporately, we can say that the Spirit is amongst us. That is of extreme importance. I know that this may be very basic, and you know all this already, but we need to remind ourselves of this regularly. The the Apostle Paul said this about the reality of this promise, of the Spirit dwelling with us and being within us. He says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Also, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul says that when you believe in Jesus, The Spirit of God is given to you, comes to you, and then it's like having a seal placed on you. You are marked out. You are marked out as one having the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the mark of the believer is that the Holy Spirit will abide with him, with her. Think about that. Jesus... have you ever experienced, had a moment in your Christian life where you, where you really are aware of the Lord's presence? And it's like Jesus is standing right there with you. Have you experienced something like that? Well, I can tell you, you we think, I really feel Jesus' presence. And it's right to say that. I feel Jesus is present with us. But who is the one who is actually present with us? It's the Holy Spirit who's present with us. And here's our problem. We have moments that we are aware that the Spirit is, is with us or Jesus is with us. But what I want you to be more aware of is that the Holy Spirit is with you all the time. Day and night, every second, every day, every week, every month, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He abides in you and with you and amongst us all the time. He never goes away. I've had many people say to me, Mike. I'm going through a dry patch, a dry season. It's like God is far away. My prayers bounce off the ceiling. I'm not aware of the Lord's presence. That happens. But does that mean that the Spirit has left them? No. Because what is the promise of Jesus? He will... Dwell with you. He will remain and continue to remain with you. And he will be in you and amongst you. That is an incredible thing. What is Jesus promising in terms of the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit will abide with us and we will know his abiding presence always. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Once Jesus was crucified and he had died and was buried and after he was raised from the dead, we know that for 40 days Jesus appeared to his disciples before ascending to heaven. And when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, what does he say to them in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5? In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and and 5, he gives them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. What's the gift that the father promised? The gift of the Holy Spirit, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus remind them of just before he sends into heaven? I'm going to send, my Father and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Why? Because the Spirit is going to be my presence with you forever. When is that promise fulfilled? It is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And this again. It's one of the reasons why we struggle, because what does it say in Acts 2, verses 1 and 2? I'll wait for the passage to come up. But what it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then this scares us. Suddenly, a sound like the the blowing of a violent wind. You see why we're afraid? came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. What was that? That was the coming of the Spirit. So I understand why we can be afraid of the Spirit. But what does the Spirit bring for us? The abiding presence of God. And in that moment, the promise of the Father and the promise of Jesus is fulfilled. Now, I want to show you a verse in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, for you to understand that that coming of the Spirit wasn't just for the disciples on the day of Pentecost, but that it is for all believers through all time. When Peter had preached his sermon, the people said, what must we do, Peter? He said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, the promise of what? The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. Who's that speaking about? At least it speaks about us today. The Holy Spirit has drawn you to Christ. The Holy Spirit, in you coming to faith in Christ, now makes his residence with you. The Apostle Paul says this, and and please, I'm going to explain this, so don't, don't be alarmed. I know that when we talk about this verse, people go, <gasps> and all sorts of questions come up in your head. But hear me out first. Look at what Romans 8 verse 9 says. If you, how you however, are, con- are, not, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You can't have the Holy Spirit, or if you, if you do not have the Spirit, then you can't belong to Christ. Now, what that verse normally does is this kind of reaction. (gasps) Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have the Spirit. What must I do to to be sure I have the Spirit? And then we do do unfortunate things, like we say, "Oh, Holy Spirit, I'm not sure if you've come to me or not. So, uh, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. And then we seek stuff to be assured of, that we've received the spirit. But what does what is the key issue? The key issue is this: not for you to have assurance that you have been that you've received the spirit, but your assurance is found in this. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord in Christ? Do you believe Jesus is your Savior? Do you? Then you have the Spirit. What is your assurance? Is your assurance in the experience of the Spirit or that you have faith in Christ? I, I want you to understand today that your assurance of having the Spirit is your faith in Christ. That's what gives you assurance. I want to show you another verse to demonstrate that from Galatians 3 and verse 2. Paul asks the church at Galatia this. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? You see, how do you receive the Spirit? By believing in the message of Jesus. By believing the gospel, by submitting yourself to Jesus. What happens when you do that? You receive the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you have the presence of Jesus with you. You have the presence of the Father with you, always. Now, how do we respond to that presence? How do we respond to the presence of Jesus? How do we respond to the Spirit abiding with us? That's that is a key aspect of growing and maturing in the Christian life. I, I can tell you, I would very early on, I committed my life to Christ. And after a few weeks, I, I was so frustrated. I was lying in my bed one night and I was, I was saying to the Lord, this isn't working. I'm so frustrated. It's like I'm I'm having to be this good person. I used to swear like like an Irishman. (laughs) Maybe worse. And I was I was trying so hard not to swear. I was trying so hard to be this good person, to be this Christian, because now I've committed my life to Christ. I've got to be this good, righteous person. And I was so frustrated because it was draining me of all my energy, and it wasn't working. And I said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, if this is how it works, I don't want any, I'm sorry. I, I can't do this. And in that moment, I remembered someone saying to me, Mike, you don't have to do this Christian life on your own, in your own strength. The Holy Spirit will enable you to live your life for Christ. And in that moment, in I know that's, this is now my experience, and I'm not sharing my experience so that it can be yours. But in that moment, I felt a power come into me. I felt a strength come into me. I felt a comfort come into me. That it, it, it changed me. I've never been the same since that night I cried out to Jesus on my bed. The next morning, when I walked to, I I was still at school, high school, and when uh, we left at 6 o'clock in the morning to get our bus because our school was an hour's drive away from where we lived. So to take a bus every morning. And and I had a friend who I met on the street corner every day. His name was Tony. And when I walked up, I said, Morning, Tony. And Tony said, Mike. You've changed. You're different. What's happened to you? You're different. I said, ah, ah. and then I remembered what happened the night before. And I said, Tony, I've given my life to Jesus, and Jesus is real for me. And how could I do that? By the Spirit. Right? And we need to have that, we need to have awareness every day of the Spirit's work and presence and person. And when we do our life for Jesus, you you will meet people and you'll say things to them that you never knew you could say to them. Someone will ask you for counsel and you'll give them counsel and you, you, you can often think, where did that come from? You, have you expe- you've experienced that, right? Who, who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so much more than just gifts and fruit. The Holy Spirit is the essence of our life. And because the Spirit of God has been promised to us, the key the, of our assurance of receiving the Spirit is our response of faith to that promise and our faith in Jesus. And if we can be assured of that, I am sure that the way in which we deal with the Holy Spirit can be very different. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful to your promises. You always fulfill your promises, and we thank you, Father God, our Lord Jesus, that you fulfilled your promise and that you send to us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit is your abiding presence with us. Help us, Lord, to be open to and be aware of the presence and work of the Spirit every day. We ask in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask your blessing on this people on your people, may, they, may we together go out today with your blessing. May you protect us. May you provide for us. And Lord, may we know your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike, um, for bringing God's word to us today. And just trust we'll all um, be reading ahead for next week.